I'm very excited about my dear friend, Sharam Hadi, and we've been friends for a long time. He believes in the future of Israel, God's covenant with Israel. He believes in the church, the work of the church, and the integrity of the gospel. Would you welcome him today to the pulpit, Sharam Hadian? Amen. Amen. Hey, you ready to get into word? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We just pray a blessing upon our time here. Uh, pray that you would anoint this message, not for my sake, Lord, but for the sake of of your word, that you would um, uh, use it mightily, uh, equip and impact and touch your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as Pastor Paul and I were talking about uh, the message this morning and what to bring, uh, I really had been praying, and, and this is a message that the Lord has so laid on my heart that is so critical for the body of Christ, um, uh, contending for Christ. Uh, why? is this so critical? Why is it important for us to contend for our faith? How many of you believe we're in the last days? If you're part of candlelight, right? You know, we're in the last days and we're probably in the last minutes of the last days. So much is happening, it's unbelievable. And yet the Bible has warned that in the last days, there's also gonna be a lot of deception. And our ministry is called Truth and Love. And I wish that I could just talk about love without truth, but it doesn't work that way, right? Truth and love must go together and we must be a body that is both gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent. And so I wish that I could come before you this morning and just talk about something very nice and warm and fuzzy. But my responsibility to the Lord is to defend his word and to equip the body because I believe God loves all his children, amen? and doesn't want any of us to fall for this deception. So we're gonna look at the aspect of contending for Christ and why it's critical for this hour, especially as we're in these last days. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Jude. We're in the book of Jude, it's only one chapter, so it's not hard to find. And it's right before the book of Revelation. And I wanna just give you a quick backstory before we jump into verse three. Um, the writer, Jude, is, of course, writing to the church. He's not writing to the world, right? He's writing to the church. And uh, many believe that this is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And the theme of the book of Jude is very similar to 2 Peter, where it's really talking about the end times. And it's talking about the warnings about those end times, specifically a warning about apostasy and why it's so important. So he starts off in verse three, as you see on the screen, with the, with the reference to beloved. I love this. Divinely loved ones, divinely called ones. How many of you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, as I am, and I came out of an Islamic background 24 years ago, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. How many of you, the Bible says that we are divinely called. Isn't that incredible? You're divinely called by God. It's not an accident that you have come to the place of faith. And the reference here of beloved is the reference for the brethren. It's for brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not a reference for those in the world. When I became a Christian, my family disowned me. But God brought a spiritual family, amen? 
God brought brothers and sisters in Christ who are now our spiritual. And that's the terminology that is being communicated by Jude through the Holy Spirit. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation so that he has been writing and, 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 and he wanted, he wanted to just come and talk about our common salvation. The word there, koinos, meaning that it is what should be common to us. We celebrate amongst each other our salvation. How many of you are grateful for your salvation in the Lord? Amen. Praise God. And if you do not have salvation in the Lord, let's get that right today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Come talk to me afterwards so we can pray with you and talk through whatever is hanging you up. But he wanted to write to them about their common salvation. Wouldn't it be nice if we just come and talk about how wonderful, praise God for our salvation, and then go home. But he says, I found it necessary. There, there is now an urgency to write to you, exhorting, exhorting you to do what? contend earnestly for the faith. So I've broken that word. You see on the screen, the word there in the Greek, epagonizome, big word, but it's where we get the root of the word agonize. So Judah's saying that we as Christians should be agonizing over our faith. How many of us agonize over our faith? There's a lot of things we agonize about, paying our bills, our jobs, how many of us agonize over our faith? And the imagery that he's giving is in two camps. Yesterday, we celebrated Veterans Day. How many of you are veterans in this room? God bless you guys. Can we give him a, a, a hand? Thank you for your service. So one connotation of this word ep agonizome is in battle. It's a warfare terminology where in battle, if you're a soldier, there is no option for defeat. There is no option. It's us versus them. It's life or death. So we got to be like a soldier agonizing over our faith. The second terminology here is athletic. It's an aspect of in sports. And, um, you know, I ran a marathon once <laughs> and only once. I, if I offend you, I'm sorry. I don't understand those who run marathons for fun. <laughs> oh, we, we love to do marathons all the time. It's, it's fun. What? 26.2 miles. And I ran it in Seattle, Washington in November in the rain, because there always rains in Seattle, right? Um, I had a cold that week. I had two days before, I had cut my foot in the shower on a tile. But I was going to finish that race. And I agonized. If you run a marathon or any kind of long race, you know at some point you hit a wall. It's called a wall. And it doesn't matter how much you've trained, you got to then agonize through the pain. How many of us know that our faith requires sacrifice? And if we're going to defend the faith, contend earnestly for that faith, we are going to have a cost. There's pain. It's, it, there's joy, but there's also pain. And he says that when you contend for the faith, ep agonizome, this is the faith which you go, well, which faith are we talking about? 
Is it like liberal Christian faith or is it like this denomination? No, he says the faith that was given to you once and for all time. The same gospel, the same word, the same message that was for back then is today. God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So once this was given to them, once the apostles gave this faith, now the exhortation is you got to earnestly fight for it, agonize over it. The question is why? Why does Jude feel so compelled instead of just writing about their common salvation and making it a, a very nice letter to, to them? Why does he feel so compelled? Well, it tells you in the next verse. For certain men have crept, slithered, in unnoticed. In where? In the church. It's not talking about the world. It's in the church. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So in my opinion... This is clearly talking about two specific things that have crept the serpent. Satan comes in and individuals come and, and the truth is perverted and two things that he's specifically dealing with. So you see the word lewdness there, wanton licentiousness, big word, it's a big word. What does that simply mean? Well, what does licentious mean? It means that you have license. So instead of taking the grace of God, and recognizing it's unmerited, we don't deserve it, but it's there for us to further contend for our faith and grow in our faith. No, now licentiousness is where you're, give, you're saying, I have license, because of grace, I have license to do anything under the guise of God loves me, under the guise of he'll forgive me. So now it's licentiousness. It's becoming lewd. This is also speaking about, obviously, sexual immorality that is happening. And the second thing is now there are those creeping in that are denying the very deity, the very God nature of Jesus Christ. How important is that to our faith? Pretty important, isn't it? The aspect of the Trinity, the triune nature of our God, that Jesus, because listen, only God can forgive our sins. Only God can take away our sin. Only God himself could have redeemed and done the work upon the cross. No man, no created. But these are things that we see even today. And then if you read in Jude further on, and if you look at, for example, in, from verse five on, you see that he's now talking about examples of in Egypt, examples in verse seven of Sodom and Gomorrah, having given themselves over the sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. The aspect of the archangel Michael contending with the enemy. And then look at verse 11. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What an incredible testimony this book is to the overarching message of the Bible. But we're going to pick this up now in verse 17. Because he says, But you, beloved, there's that term again, Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. You see on the screen there, some translations use the word scoffer. 
but those who are mocking or scoffing are ultimately those within the church, within the church, are ultimately what? They're false teachers. The implication is that they're scoffing at the word of God. They're scoffing that this is reliable. Do we see that in the church today? Do we see that today where, where the idea of reliability of this? Oh, you know, there, this is good history. It's good reading. I like parts of it. I follow parts of it. I like the red letters as if they had red ink back then. He says, these have been warned. The apostles warned. The Bible warns. The New Testament warns. In the last time, the word there, eschatos, where we get the word eschatology. So as we get closer and closer and closer to the finishing of the time of the, of the church before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is going to be a greater measure, a greater increase. And unfortunately, our ministry, we keep dealing with this. I wish we didn't have to deal with any of this. But we know the Bible has warned us that it's just going to get worse. And here Jude is saying the same thing. Why? Because they are individuals who are ungodly. They have ungodly lust. They are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. What does a sensual person mean? Someone who's governed by the flesh. Bible can also refer to this as a carnal Christian because instead of being governed by the spirit, we are governed by the flesh. How many of you know that your emotions will always fail you? If you're governed by your emotions, if we're governed by the flesh, it will always lead us astray. We must be governed by the spirit. So I wanna share with you some, some, some areas that I believe we're seeing false teachers and false teaching very quickly here. The Bible, again, is talking about this, and today we have our woke churches, right? You hear this term, woke or wokeism. And I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm 100% confident, in fact, that, uh, in fact, I, I think there's a sign out there somewhere that says, uh, Candlelight Christian Fellowship is a no-woke zone. <laughs> Amen? If you're worried about being triggered, this is not the place. <laughs> Neither is my, our, you know, our church or our ministry because we're going to speak the truth in love, knowing that it's going to offend people. And of course, then we have the, all the social justice churches, right? Instead of talking about biblical justice and how God has defined justice according to the word of God, what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. Today, it's all social justice and it's all about, you know, what feels right to you and there's, there's very, um, uh, you know, you know the, the, the sort of moral outrage is, is very selective. A little bit of levity here. I know we're serious. We're talking about serious things. If you like the Babylon Bee, I like the Babylon Bee. A little bit of, a little bit of parity. Here, we're told, right, don't be political, right? Churches shouldn't be political, says pastor with BLM and pride flags on the building. And yet we know that what is social justice? It's all political. It's all about trying to get the government or the nation to go along with what you believe is the most important thing rather than getting the government and the nation to go along with what is the word of God. Why is America in the mess it's in? But I wanna start with something that our ministry deals with. One of the biggest false teachings that we deal with that we have to contend for the faith and, and not just contend for the faith, contend for the gospel itself, the gospel that, that brought me out of Islam, the gospel that has saved us. 
is the deception now we see with interfaith and multi-faith. I deal with this a lot in our ministry, especially with what's going on in the world now. You see this with, with uh, Islam. Uh, I see this in missions. I see this with Christians who uh, will claim, or Muslims will claim, we all worship the same God. We're all Abrahamic. We all, you know, we have common ground in all these things. And I can tell you as a former Muslim that that is a lie from the pit of hell. In my own testimony, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, Sharam, you now know the truth. One way is true, one way is a lie. Whom, whom are you going to serve? And so this multi-faith deception is now leading the world into this great, I believe, end-time deception, which is called this Abrahamic faith lie. The idea that, you know, Muslims, Christian Jews, they're all Abrahamic, they all worship the same God. And this is going to deny the power of the gospel and it's going to deny the Great Commission. That's why we just did a brand new DVD I recorded here earlier this year at Candlelight called One World Religion Rising, where we expose this false one world religion, including this lie that there's this Abrahamic faith, uh, that they, they built this, this building in, in Abu Dhabi that has a mosque, a synagogue, and a church all on the same property, all claiming they worship the God of, uh, of Abraham. These are end time deceptions, and we must contend earnestly for our faith. We must boldly go and tell folks about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's one way and one name by which man can be saved. Of course, another great false teaching that I believe is happening right now, and I've, in fact, I've been pretty shocked at what I've seen in the last four, four weeks, is what is happening with Israel, especially in light of the horrific attacks that happened there on October 7th. Just to put it in perspective, you may have not thought about it this way, the 1,400 plus Israelis that have been killed uh, because of the, the Islamic attack against them, um, that's equivalent to over 60,000 Americans, if you look at the population. And yet what I'm seeing from within the church is great confusion, is great false teaching. As Pastor Paul said, I'm not ashamed to teach and, 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 and believe in what is called dispensational or dispensationalism. And all that simply means is I believe that God has a different plan for the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people and the land, then for the church. It's very simple. There's two plans. Now, that does not mean that I believe there's two ways of salvation as what sometimes we're accused of, what's called dual covenant theology. I don't support that. I don't know anybody that is in the dispensational camp that supports that. And all that simply, what they're trying to put is, oh, you believe that Jews can be saved apart from Jesus. No, I don't. There's one new covenant and there's one salvation for every Jew and every Gentile alike and it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But I believe that God has a separate plan and purpose that he's not done yet with the Jewish people, that for them to come back into the land is a miracle in fulfillment of prophecy, for them to become a nation is also because of God's hand, whatever you believe the date is, whether it was 1948 or 1967, and the fact that we're seeing all these end times events happening. Now, don't forget, there's a great deception that is coming upon, upon Israel. Because of course, the majority, 99 plus percent, reject Jesus as the Messiah. And I'm not here saying I stand with the government of Israel. I don't trust the government of Israel as much as I don't trust the government of America. but I stand with the right of the Jewish people to the land. 
I stand with the right of self-defense. I got pastors that I know that are saying both sides are terrorists because they support things like replacement theology or what now is called covenant theology, which simply means you take replacement where the church replaced Israel. Covenant theology means it's a continuation. The church has become a continuation of Israel. So whatever promises there may be are not for a physical Israel, therefore the church. Or you have something called preterism or partial preterism. Preterism means it's in the past. Everything, all these prophecies, Daniel chapter nine, all the, they're all in the past. It already happened. In fact, if you talk to people that are full preterists, uh, they're weird. Because <laughs> they believe that Jesus already came back the second time. You heard me right. You're like, huh? In AD 70, they believe he came back after the fall of Jerusalem. You're like, wait a second, we missed it? He came back and we missed it? And then this is the world 2,000 years later? This is the result of the king of kings coming back? And then they, they support things like, usually if you're preterist, you're, you're, you're post-millennial, which means you believe we're already in the millennial reign of Christ rather than believing the thousand-year reign has not yet come. That's the hope, right? Because, can I ask you a question? This is the millennial reign? This is the kingdom? This? This sucks! This sucks. Come on, let's be honest. This is what we have to look forward to. But besides the confusion about Israel and being able to separate the prophecies and the promises of God, the land covenant, they'll say things like, well, the Abrahamic covenant was conditional. That's, that's Christianity 101. The only covenant of the major covenants that was conditional was the Mosaic Aren't you glad that the new covenant is not conditional? Can you imagine that the new covenant was conditional? Well, you're saved as long as you don't ever, ever mess up. Oh. So there, there's an element of getting the, the teaching right, but then there's a spirit behind it. And I'm very concerned with the spirit that is coming out of the church, which to me, a lot of times sounds like Jew hatred. Again, separate the government. And the go listen, the governments of the world are corrupt. They're heading into this one world government, one world system, the beast system. But you got to separate that from the people. Just like in Iran, I separate the government of Iran, which is evil, from the individual people in Iran, which, by the way, is the fastest growing church on the planet. Because God is saving Iranians, bringing them out of Islam. And the Jewish people and their being in the land is a part of what the Bible has prophesied is going to happen. And God is not done with Israel or with Jerusalem, by the way, because Zion, Jerusalem, is mentioned 150 times in the Bible. Let's not forget where he's returning. And also, guess what? Not only is it mentioned 150 times, but we know that Zechariah 12 says that Jerusalem is a burdensome stone to the nations. They're all going to try to come after. Don't we see that today still? God's not done. But whatever your theology is, don't get into the camp. There has been a 1,200% increase of anti-Semitism in the last four weeks. And the White House is busy talking about Islamophobia. Yeah. Combating Islamophobia. 
which the FBI statistics don't even support. It's anti-Semitism in America. Close to 56% of all hate crimes, religiously motivated. And now, but they don't just want to combat Islamophobia. They want to combat Islamophobia as a matter of national security under the National Security Council, which means they can invoke the Patriot Act. So don't be surprised if next year someone like me is arrested or I am arrested. I was joking with Pastor Paul, we'll just start a prison ministry. <laughs> but the church is confused. And all of this confusion leads to people falling away. But I want to I want to end today with focusing on so that deals with, for example, in Islam. Islam denies the deity of Christ. Islam denies Jesus is God, denies that Jesus is the Son of God, denies that he was ever crucified or resurrected, denies that he's coming back as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's pretty big, isn't it? Other than that, we have common ground. Huh? So when you go into the dangers of interfaith and multi-faith and all of this deception, you're ultimately denying what Jude said. Those who deny the Lord Jesus Christ, they deny his deity. But I want to focus on the first part. I want to focus on the licentiousness. I feel like the church has given up. I feel like the church as a whole has given up on standing for sexual purity and fighting all the sexual immorality that we see in our culture and all the gender confusion. We've given up. Oh, that's a losing battle. No, it's not. Because I still believe in the word of God. I still believe the word of God has power. I still believe the gospel has power. And so I'm going to talk about a, a specific pastor in the, in the next seven, eight minutes that I have left. And this pastor is, is actually, it, it's personal to me because 24 years ago, the Lord used one of his messages that was preaching the gospel. Now it shows you what the Bible says is true, which is that even if you preach the gospel with ill motive, God will use it for his glory. This was the message that brought me to salvation. This was the message that God used, a, a message about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet when I look back and I now think about my time when I went to visit this one church and this pastor and the teaching, I realized even 24 years ago, they were going woke. Even 24 years ago, it was all secret. And of course, I'm talking about Andy Stanley. This is the, the third largest church in America as far as numbers of followers. Millions of people are being, I'm nobody, I, I have no influence. Millions of people are following. And so I began to work on or warn about Andy Stanley back in like 2012 when he came out and kept saying things like, well, I don't say the Bible says, I say John says, Paul says, Luke says. You go, what do you mean you don't say the Bible? No, that's not. And you can see on the screen, the Bible is not a good starting point or ending point. Huh? Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? And what did he say? As it is written. If, it, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me, Mr. Stanley, pastor. But I knew that that was the beginning of the, the downfall. Because the moment we've compromised the word, the moment we're no longer bound by scripture, and the authority of scripture. By what authority do I stand before you as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ? By the word, because he's the word. So then he came out after that in 2017, I think it was, when I was still pastoring in Spokane, he came out and started talking about, it's time to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. This is a direct quote. I've listened to the whole sermon. It's time to unhitch from the 10 commandments. 
So now you know, well, the moment you remove, that's why our nation is in the, in, in the state that it's in. The moment you remove the moral foundation of the church and of the nation, you are going to head rapidly into licentiousness, which is exactly what Jude is warning about. And so I said back then, this, I, I predict, I'm not, I'm not a prophet, I predict based on the fact of what he's denying, you know, the moral law, you know. Now, listen, we know that the law was fulfilled and nailed to the cross, right? Amen? But that's, you know, that's ceremonial, that's uh, civil. But do we no longer follow the moral law? In fact, Jesus raised the bar, didn't he? The Ten Commandments say this, I say this. He raised the bar. And not, not according to Mr. Stanley. In fact, he said in that same sermon, he said, the Old Testament was not the go-to source for the behavior of the church. Can I ask you a question? Did the, did the early church have the New Testament? It wasn't written yet. What were they reading? The Old Testament, the prophets, the law. So I'm not sure what he's talking about, but I know where he's going because here's what he says. He says, participants in the new covenant, you know, Forget the old covenant, forget the Ten Commandments, you know, like don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, don't blaspheme, honor your father, you know, those things. He says, participants in the new covenant are expected to obey the single command Jesus issued as part of his new covenant. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There you go. Everything boils down to one command, just love one another. Thank you, have a good day, I'm going home. You go, hold on, hold on. Are your antennas up? What's the problem? How many commands were there? Two. What's the first command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The moment you've eradicated any morality, any foundation, and now it's only one command, love one another. Now, game on. It's wide open for licentiousness. And I said back in 2017 or 18, when he did this, I said, I have no doubt in a number of years, you'll see this church become a gay affirming church, completely pro LGBT, pro uh, supporting all this stuff. The Bible says here, you know, notice I said the Bible says, I'm not afraid to say the Bible says, the word of God says, do not think that I came to destroy or abolish the law or the prophets. Now he, he did come to fulfill, right? But yet when we look at the word abolish, that means he nailed it. He didn't destroy the law, did he? He didn't remove the morality. In fact, as I said, he raised the bar. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Notice it's all. That means there's still things that are yet to be fulfilled. But sure enough, a couple of months ago, three months ago, they announced at Andy Stanley's church at North Point, big, massive church, they're going to have a conference called Unconditional, which is supporting the LGBTQ movement, parents who have LGBTQ children. They had two speakers that came and spoke there that um, are, are Christians who are celibate. They're homosexual, but they're celibate, you know. And this is where we're at, folks. This is the slope. You had another social justice warrior, Jackie Hill Perry, comes out just a few months ago and says this. 
Nowhere in the Bible is it implied that God wants people to be straight. You know, that whole thing about one man, one woman, the two shall become one flesh. So this is what we're peddling to the world. And then we wonder why we can't, nothing's changing. In fact, it's getting worse because we're peddling a false gospel with no power. There's no power because when you compromise, there's no power. If you want to impact your community, you need to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit and with truth. In fact, the good news is this. Here's the good news, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And it goes through this list. And by the way, I can check at least one thing off that list. Fornicator, adulterer, idolater. It uses the word homosexuals, nor sodomites. I didn't use that word. The Bible uses those terms nor thieves, nor covetous. Have you ever coveted anything? Drunkards, anybody ever here been drunk? Revilers, extortionists will inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm not standing here before you saying, God, perfect I am. I'm saying, I can check things off that list, but by the grace of God, I've been born again, and it, it gives you the good news. Look at the bottom. But you were washed. You were what? You were washed. And then you were sanctified. And then you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of the living God. Amen. That's the good news. That's what we should be contending for is that we can go into the world and we can talk to those who are confused about their sexuality or their gender. We don't give up on these issues. And now because of, of, of the elections last week, I got uh, to churches following political leaders saying, oh, we got to move, move, move away from the issue of abortion. No, we're not going to move away from any issue that is enshrined in the scriptures. Amen? Amen? We're not going to move away from it. We're going to stand on it. We're going to contend for it. And we're going to give people the good news. The bottom line is the Bible is the only answer. The word of God is the only answer. And if we're going to agonize about our faith, we got to make sure we're standing on solid ground. That's why the moment Mr. Stanley said, and, and forgive me if I'm not calling him a pastor, I believe he's been disqualified from office. Amen. But the moment Mr. Stanley says the Bible, I don't say the Bible says, there is the demise. There is the beginning of the demise. And who knows to what degree it will go. I'm just grateful that his dad isn't here anymore in the sense that he's with the Lord. The Bible says all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped. Amen. And I love how Jude ends the book of Jude. I love this. And here's my prayer for you. Here's what I'm praying as we close. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How many of you want to make sure you don't stumble in your faith? Amen. Finish the race. Amen. Finish the marathon, no matter how painful, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. forever. Amen. God has the ability through the Holy Spirit to keep you and I from stumbling, to keep you and I on the path of making sure that we are going to contend earnestly for the faith, finish that race, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what we're contending for. And also we're contending for the very gospel that has the power to change lives and change eternities. Amen? 
So don't let anybody tell you that in order to be a 2023 Christian, you need to be a compromised Christian. By the way, I want to remind you tonight, I'll be here for a presentation at 6.30. I pray you come back. It is called, We Will Not Comply. And it is not a message of rebellion. It is a message of obedience. The subtitle is, The Battle Between Obeying God Versus the Government, or Man. And it's so relevant to what's happening and also what's going to be happening. So if you're able to come, we're going to be recording that presentation tonight for our DVD, for our ministry. Come tonight and join us. I think we'll be live streaming as well if you can. 6.30, we will not comply. But I want to say thank you for allowing me to be here. Let's stand together. I'm going to close us in prayer. Please. That was kind of bossy. Sorry about that. (laughs) Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray your blessing on each one of your children here, Lord. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you that we're beloved in Christ. I pray that you will anoint and equip, keep us so grounded in our faith. You are faithful, God. Help us to be faithful. And we praise you that you'll give us the strength to agonize over our faith and that we'll hang on to it no matter what the cost. We bless you. I pray a blessing on every family, every home, every marriage, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. I pray that you'd use this church mightily and every family here mightily to impact your kingdom here, right here in North Idaho. And we pray this now for your glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Thank you guys and God bless. Thank you so much.